us the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, Lady, not as though I wrote a
still do a little bit. We call them teeter totters or seesaws. It was balance that made them fun and safe. If they were unbalanced, it could lead to a bruised barrier or a bitten tongue. The fun was never pleasant. If you want to enjoy a seesaw, you have to be in the right position. Second John today, because this is one of John's little postcards of truth. It would have fit on one eight by ten sheet of papyrus, so it's really brief. And John doesn't waste any words. They're weighed out carefully as God superintends his ministry. He gives them to the local church because the local church that he's ministering to needs to hear them. And it's a potent description for how to live in the here and now. So this is a brief missive. It's a, a short note. But it's about the early Christian church and the early Christian church life. One, in fact, that we are connected with. And again, the emphasis, as is often the case with John, is on love one another. At the risk of being a broken record and skipping love one another, love one another, that seems to be a common John the Apostle Paul's language. He keeps calling people to love one another. I'm not always sure that we know what that means or what that entails. In fact, love is more than a hallmark slogan. It's hard. It's hard work. To love one another might mean blood, sweat, and tears. It is a challenge that tests us. The laboratory that informs us Just as the ancient saints needed that, we need that truth as well. Don't miss the fact that the early church, not unlike us, had, had relational challenges. You read through the early history book of the church, the book of Acts, you can't miss the fact that there was a certain level of contention. There was tension between cultures, Jew and Greek, tension within the framework of between Paul and Peter, Paul and Barnabas. There was tension inside the church, and he'd only offer the names Ananias and Sapphira. There was tension from without, false teachers from the pagan culture. So this is a real letter to real people about real issues. John writes under the direction of God and God's authority. Long ago, the book of 2 John met the standards of canonicity, so we can read it with confidence, knowing that, in fact, God gave this to us to correct us and inform us. And I admit that the brevity and the clarity of this letter grabs my attention. He said that one of the seals, one of the seals of truth is simplicity. And that's what you get with John. It's kind of an either-or. It's very much a binary concept. You're either in or you're out. You love or you don't. You know Jesus or you don't know Jesus. There's none of this kind of, you know, nuances and gray areas and white noise with God. It's either or. And I appreciate that, and 
take a lot of time to account for him. Real man, real group of people. If you remember back to your literature classes, you know that letters have an introduction, they have a body, and they have a conclusion. And we have that here in Second John. The author, I believe, is the Apostle John. He's widely recognized as the human secretary, that fisherman slash pastor who comes from kind of a rugged background but walks and talks and learns and loves from Jesus and becomes the apostle of love. But in time in John's life when he wasn't the apostle of love, he was going air gaze. He was a son of thunder. And when people didn't hear and receive the gospel that Jesus spoke, his thought was, why don't we just pave this place over? But why don't you just call on fire on this place? There's been a transition, a transformation in John's life. He's now this well-seasoned, senior, saying, love and affection drips literally from him. John is the last apostle to die. Probably writes this from Ephesus, now as a gray-haired purveyor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The audience is not known to us in verse 1. There's lots of ink that's been spilled on the identity of the elect lady. Is that a real lady, elect lady? Is that a metaphor for the local church? I want I want bring you into the tedium of the controversy. Suffice it to say that it is my conviction that this is a metaphor for a local church. Interesting that that John would use the idea of a lady. Often when we speak of women, we speak of them because of their beauty. We speak of the affection that we have for them because of the way that God has made them. Here we have in the text. The church referred to as the elect lady. So I think it's significant that John has an affection for this. It's likely a house church. It might well be the one, one similar to the one that met in Philemon's house. The exact audience remains unknown to us. It is simply an early Christian church. But the truths are timely. The encouragement is necessary. And there is important now century. We recognize here that this are, these are folks who need truth and who must walk in the truth, and they must walk in the truth in love. Now, we've all known folks, you'll notice that John continues to connect the ideas of truth and love, truth and love, truth and love. We see it repeatedly in the text. And that's a necessary corrective because we struggle still today to walk in both of those words. There are times in our lives, even as Christians, when we do the love thing really well. We're caring, compassionate, sensitive, hard. We love. But then when it comes to speaking truth and being discerning and making decisions, oh, how we struggle. We also have found ourselves, maybe at times or seasons or personality-wise, where we understand right and wrong. We have a clarity of understand what we're to do and not to do, but the way that we apply it is so unloving, so ungracious, so unkind, we end up truncating the process. We're all known as well, brothers and sisters, you know you've got names in your head, I do, folks big on truth, short on love, or folks big on love, short on truth. Seasoned saint, do. He 
calls us to a balanced approach. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road for many of us. And I don't want to be schizophrenic, but there are times in which we really do struggle with that balance. But where do, where do I sit on the teeter-totter or the seesaw so that I'm not coming down with a thumb? This church, like every church, is on one hand blessed and beleaguered, blessed and challenged. We, we know that we can't just give out truth without love or love without truth. We know that if we're going to be healthy relationships, it will demand both. And so let me raise up three markers that will help us navigate Second John. First of all, I want you to notice it again as we've begun. The connection between truth and love. The connection between truth and love. John doesn't waste any precious parchment. He zeroes in on the big issue, the nexus, the connection, the coming together of love and truth. Verse 1 speaks about those who have known the truth. Verse 2 speaks about the, the permanence and the longevity of truth. It has an abiding, staying forever component to it. In verse 3, he identifies God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as the very source, the headwater, the fount. Truth and love come from him. We recognize in verse 4, he finds himself rejoicing because he has found some of your children walking in truth. I, I, I was fascinated with verse 4 because John gets excited. John is encouraged but he's not encouraged in the sense that everyone is doing the right thing. He's encouraged that there are some that are doing what he wants them to do. Not everyone that comes to church gets it. Not everyone who comes to church is a purveyor of love and truth. Some come out of tradition, some come out of guilt, some don't come to learn and grow, they come to check out the box. John says, I'm rejoicing. Some that get it. That's the same as it is here. Some come, some get it. Some are growing and deepening. Some will begin doing that in a month or two months, or they're on again, off again. But that's the reality of the life in which we live. We are, even here, beleaguered and beautiful. He's thankful that some are walking in the truth. And then, verse 5, this brief summary. Now, I plead with you. I'm begging you, lady. I'm begging you, church, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you. This isn't something you haven't already heard. When you read through First John, you hear it again and again and again. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. And that's not, that's not merely a sentiment. That's not merely a liver quiver or a tummy rumble. That is a die-cast decision to put someone ahead of yourself and love them. You say, they're not lovable. Guess what, folks? That's not the issue. They are likable. They're prickly. I got stunned just last month, and he was a singer from nowhere. You want me to love them? Answer, Bible truth, rock solid, yes. You see, it is, it is not about them and their reaction to you. It's about you. Loving and caring and dying to self of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is to connect these two great things, love and truth, and see them kiss and make up 
too much candy. It's sweet. You can't live on it. Truth without love is a prison cell that can lead to bitterness and sadness. And so for true Christians in pursuit of the most high God, it demands not an either or, but a both end. And any other way leads to a balance. You realize the challenge, brothers and sisters, to stay loving and truthful at the same time? And we've all known seasons of imbalance. But apart from the grace of God, we can't do it. I can't be loving and truthful without God's help. I tried, failed miserably. It isn't until you've been humbled under the mighty hand of God that you realize, I can't do this without Him. This is, these are ingredients that I can't mix together. This is a cake or cookies that I cannot bake without his help. Truth and tact don't have to be incompatible when we're under the control of Almighty God. If we're going to live, brothers and sisters, with these two great realities, working in unison, we will need the strengthening hand of Almighty God. It is not loving to never express to a friend something that you know to be true and right because he's dealing with hurt their feelings. That, brothers and sisters, is not love. It is not truthful to give and give and give to someone who refuses to feel the weight of responsibility. That's not truthful. And so, how do we pour on mercy? How do we stand for truth? How is this done in tandem? It's done as God enables us. It's done as God empowers us. It's done as God supplies wisdom and discernment and discretion to us. Do you not sense the strong affection John has in verse 5? Now I plead with you. This is what I want you to be, church. This is how I want you to react and, and, and act with one another. It's a glorious affection. It's pleading with the church. It's as on a certain level, he pleads with us today. This is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to relate to one another. He's greeted them. There's a tenderness there. And he said, I'm telling you, all along, love one another. But we do it married together, paired with, in tandem with truth. He's calling the church to the already established truths. He's calling them to continuity. He's calling them to remember what they know. What we can't say is the popular song says, we can't say as Christians, love is all I need. That's why we can't say as Christians, love makes the world go round. Because it doesn't. There must be love and truth. And I think the pivot point of the book is verse 6. This is love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. This is far more subversive, maybe, than you're ready to admit. He, he locates love in obedience. If you're looking for a foundation, you'd say, you know what, you got to love, but you do it from the foundation of God's truth. You're obeying His commandments. He weds them tightly together, making them inseparable. Either love shows up in our lives or it doesn't. Either love is a reality that works its way out in our shoe leather or it doesn't. It's not nearly enough to talk a good thing if you never get around to living it and saying it. 
Now, some of you might remember a number of months ago when we were in 3 John, that other little book's part of truth. And one of the issues was there was a guy there named Diatrophes, and guess what he didn't want to do? He didn't want to be hospitable to John or any of the missionaries, the authentic, genuine missionaries. And John says, when I come, I'll straighten it out. But it's interesting because here we have a case in which there were some who were the church was being hospitable to and gracious towards, and they weren't supposed to be, which sounds kind of unchristian. So you read on the text and realize that, that this tension is identified here very, very clearly. It says that they don't confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, and then he identifies him. This is a deceiver and antichrist. Look to yourselves. to be able to figure out who 
person have to do that? It's, it's purely the, 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 the matter of God to supply the what to. I can talk how to until I'm blue in the face. But if you're sitting there this morning and you don't want to, it doesn't matter. That's the nature of what we're up against. And even this morning, later as we gather around the table of the Lord and we and there's conflict, and thirdly, there's counsel. In verses 10 and following, 
is that there's value to advice given. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive it into your house. If he who greets him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And of course, the personal connection here, having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so paper and but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, but our joy may be filled. The children here are like sister. Thank you, Lord, that we can pursue righteousness. And I'm not sure, Lord. 
us here recognize you as Lord and Savior. Thank you that everyone is here. Pray, Lord God, that you would do a special work in our hearts. As we prepare for the table of the Lord and as we prepare for this, this well-known, well-accomplished season of reflection and rejoicing, we pray that you strengthen our hearts and our minds. We're returning to base again, Lord. We're returning to ground zero. We're returning to our roots this morning, Lord. We're confessing in an almost creedal fashion the, the great truth of the gospel. Father, come and help us and enliven us and revive us and stir up our spirits. Father, for any here that have been struggling in terms of discernment, decision 